0: This is a special service today. We're ordaining Aaron into ministry, and so this is going to be a a time of celebration for that too. And so, um, for those of you who are visiting, we normally teach through books of the Bible. We go verse by verse through through each book. Um, But today we're doing something a little different. This is a special service, as I said, and we're going to be talking about ordination and why that's important, and I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, one other announcement, I don't know how many of you all know this or not, but Joe Ellison, our worship leader, is an ordained pastor. I didn't know that until recently, and so um, I talked to the board about it. We talked to Joe, and we're going to recognize him as Pastor Joe today as well, so he's going to be our worship pastor. So this is a special occasion. This is a time of celebration, and I just wanted to talk before we get into the message about why, why it's important that this is happening in the local church recognizing God's calling on men's lives and uh, honoring that and putting them in a position of leadership, acknowledging the calling that's on a person's life, that ought to be happening in a healthy church. In a church where God is is working, is moving, lives are being saved and changed and uh, men are being called into pastoral ministry, that ought to be happening. And so this is a great thing. And the reality is is that a lot of these guys that we're raising up, most likely they're not going to be here forever. As much as we want them to be here forever, they probably won't be. God will send them out. They'll plant churches. They'll go out as, as missionaries. And then we believe that as we're faithful to keep a light touch on these guys and to, to recognize what God is doing in their lives, He'll keep bringing people in that will be growing and, and we'll continue to raise them up and possibly send them out. And so this is a wonderful thing that, that's happening. And that's why you want to see a church that is uh, ordaining folks from time to time and raising them up into ministry. So today, the message I'm going to be sharing with you guys is you know, what is a, a pastor according to the Scriptures. I've titled this message, The Hidden Pastoral Epistle. And I'll explain that in just a moment. But I want to start by saying, guys, this applies to all of us. So let me just put that out there right now. Okay, this is for all of us. First off, the pastor is charged to set the example to the congregation. And that's a a sobering and a weighty thing for, for any of us who carry that title to know that we're actually supposed to be examples. We're supposed to demonstrate these things for the rest of you. But the reality is we're all supposed to do these things. All the things that I'm going to be talking about today, this should be true of any Christian, frankly. And so, just know that as I'm talking about these things and I'm I'm exhorting Aaron and, and Joe in these things, these are things that we ought to be striving for in our own lives. Amen? And then beyond that, it's good for you guys to know what your expectations ought to be of your pastors here. And whether you're here or anywhere else, it's important for you to know what you should expect of your pastors. You can have expectations. Biblical expectations. And the reality is we have expectations of you. Did you know that? Now it's not my expectations. It's the, the Bible's expectations. God's expectations for you. But that's the relationship. You guys expect something from me according to the Scriptures and I expect something from you and that is okay. That's totally fine. We just need to know what that is. We need to know what that is. We need to be Real clear about that so that we're all on the same page, so that we can function as a healthy, God honoring church. So, with that, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians, um, you can just go ahead and pick up chapter 1. All right, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we love you and we're so grateful to see what you're doing in our church. We're so grateful to see You raising up men in our presence and seeing them step into the calling, God, that You have placed upon their lives. I'm excited about the health that this brings to the church here, to this body of believers as these men step into their position of leadership and they use their gifts for the edification of the body, for the health of the body. And so thank You for this day, Lord. I pray that truly we would celebrate, that we would rejoice. I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be encouragers. I thank You for the message that I have from Your Word to share with Your people. And I pray, God, that You would be glorified and that it would be very helpful to us all. It would be very insightful, very instructive. And I pray uh, Your blessing upon this service. In Jesus' name, Amen. So we have a couple of letters in the New Testament that we refer to as pastoral letters or pastoral epistles. And Paul wrote these to two pastors, Timothy and Titus. And it's chock full of wisdom for how to lead the church and how to pastor. But there's another letter that uh, if you were to ask folks, they may not, may not know this or think of this, but 1 Thessalonians chapter 1-2 and two is a treasure trove of wisdom for the pastor and the church. And so I've, I've referred to it as the hidden pastoral letter. And that, that's what I want to look at today. We're going to consider chapters 1 and 2, especially chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, and what the Word has to share with us about pastoral ministry. So we're basically looking at the church of Thessalonica, as you have the letter to the Thessalonians. And this was located in northern Greece, in Macedonia. And this was a church that Paul planted in Acts chapter 17. So we were there in Acts not too long ago. Paul was on his second missionary journey. He made his way from Asia over to Macedonia, the Macedonian call as it is referred to. And you'll recall places like Philippi and Berea. Well, that's pretty much where Thessalonica is located. Uh, And that is the church. Now, Paul, some believe, was only there for maybe three weeks. Uh, there, there are different views about this, but if he was only there for three weeks, that is really spectacular because this church is such a vibrant and healthy church as we're going to see. And Paul, the guy that planted the church, may have only been there for three weeks. Well, he was forced to leave because of persecution, as is uh, the case so often wherever Paul went. Uh, trouble was not far behind and so he had to leave and he continued on his missionary journey but he left behind him the church in Thessalonica the Thessalonians so he he writes a couple of letters to them when he he sees it as a, a fitting thing to do at the right time to address certain things and so I wanted to talk a little bit about the Thessalonians reputation first and foremost let's look at the reputation of the Thessalonians okay so First off, in your notes, you'll see I have First uh, Thessalonians 1, 5-10. So if you uh, want to follow with me in your Bibles there, I'll, I'll read this to you in the New King James. Paul is talking to them about their shining example. He says, "...for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became followers of us and of the Lord." having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out, so that we do not need to say anything, for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I've heard one pastor say that if he had to grade any church in the Bible with an A, an A+, it would be this church. Every church that we see has some sort of problem. Some major, some minor. But this one right here has a stellar report from Paul. And he says, you know, word has gone out all over the place about you guys, about your faith. And even in the midst of, of trials and conflict, you guys are still going forward in the power of the gospel. We don't even have to talk about it. Everyone around the world is telling us about it. So that was their reputation. And then in 1 Thessalonians two nineteen and 20, Paul says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so Paul says, look, you guys, I'm so proud of you as a church. I'm so impressed by you that, that you are my, my trophy in a sense. You are my crown. When I stand in the presence of the Lord, I will not be put to shame because of you guys. Everything that I did, everything I went through was not in vain because of you guys. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, he says, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. And so he's basically saying, look guys, you know what to do and you're doing it. I have nothing else to say to you. Just keep doing what you are doing. And that's, that's great. That's a great place to be. And so often, that's my encouragement to folks. You know what? You're doing good. Just keep doing what you're doing. We can be hard on ourselves. We can feel like it's never enough. We ought to, always ought to be doing more. But so often, we need to just rest in the fact that, hey, we're right where we ought to be. And Paul says, look, just keep doing what you're doing. You know, I worked at a, a welding shop as a supervisor at one point in my life. and um, I had to start writing up reports about how my guys were doing, how they were producing. And the guys that I oversaw, we we would uh, keep daily and weekly account of the, the rate of production. And these guys were getting like 120% production, productivity. That's really amazing. And at 75%, you're doing good, but they had 120%. And so I just thought, man, you guys are doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. And my my supervisor said, no, don't do that. You need to always come up with something, some critique, because they can always improve. And I thought, I just don't like that, man. They're doing 120%. If they'll just keep doing that, that's amazing. And so really, that's what Paul is saying here. You guys are doing a great job. Just keep doing what you're doing. Just abound more and more in the things that you are doing. And he kind of says the same thing in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9, and 10. It says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are all in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So that was the, that was the church there in Thessalonica. They were on point. They were doing great things. Paul was absolutely impressed with them. And he said, just keep on doing what you're doing. Sterling report. So then I have to ask the question. This leads us into the next point. What in the world did Paul do while he was there? What in the world did Paul do in that short time that he was there amongst the Thessalonians? And so that is what we're going to spend the rest of the time looking at. And we find it, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1-12. through 12. Paul is going to remind them of his conduct with them as a pastor while he was present with them. And that's where I say this is really a treasure trove for us of what a pastor looks like. A good, healthy, biblical shepherd. And so this is my encouragement to, to Aaron, to Joe... To our other pastors, Dalton and Dan, this is such a challenge for me. I'm always thinking through these things. This message just hit me right between the eyes on so many points. And I thought, man, I've got to step that up. And I don't even know where to start with this over here. And God, you got to help me with that. And so I've been really going through the, the grinder a little bit on this one myself. But this is good. There's good wisdom here. And so with that, let's get into it. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. First, we see that Paul pastored with determination. Verse 1, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the Gospel of God in much conflict. So everywhere Paul went, he would get beat up, it seemed. He would get in prison, there would be riots, and on to the next town he would go, and then it would happen all over again. And if anyone had PTSD, it had to be this guy. And he um, still remained bold. He was courageous in pastoral ministry He persevered. Even though it was hard, even though He was right on the brink of death time and time again, starvation, shipwreck, uh, in the freezing cold, just always struggling for the Gospel, He persevered. And that's a huge point for us in pastoral ministry. It is hard a lot of the time. And we have to persevere in ministry. You get beat up. People that you love so dearly are in your life one day, gone the next. People that you trust so closely to you will turn on you. I thank God that I haven't experienced a lot of this at this point, but I've been warned over and over again that it's it's coming. You know, That was one of the scariest things for me when I stepped into the senior pastor role is how time after time after time... Pastors were telling me of the beating that was to come. And I'm just like, oh man, you know, but they're just wanting to be very frank with me. It requires perseverance to be in pastoral ministry. And I've known many pastors who carry many scars, if not physically, certainly emotionally, uh, spiritually. And Paul was one who persevered in ministry in the good and in the bad. He stayed the course. You know, Paul was courageous in ministry. You've got to be courageous. And I hope you're making the connection here with just the Christian life, too, in general. Is the Christian life a cakewalk? Is it? No, it is not. Does it require perseverance? Yes, it does. We are all in this thing together. And so um, it required uh, being courageous. You know, I've mentioned this before courage is not the absence of fear, it's just the willingness to do the right thing in the presence of fear moving forward regardless, and doing what you know you are supposed to do, what you have to do, what you're called to do. And Paul did that. Despite the, the harsh treatment, the difficulties, Paul was courageous in ministry. You know, Paul was true to the Gospel in conflict. He says that we were bold in our God to speak to you the Gospel of God in much conflict. You know, at times we could be tempted to water it down. We could be tempted to speak a lesser message, a less offensive message, maybe a, a more inclusive message. Oftentimes, you say you're a Christian, you say you're a pastor, you're automatically marked. And you know, we think that we have it bad here in the Bay Area, and we may have it more challenging here than in other places to be sure, but here in Greece, you can only imagine how bad the church there had it. The kind of persecution that they dealt with, with the pagan culture there in Greece at that time in the world, and nonetheless, nevertheless, Paul was courageous. He persevered. He was true to the gospel, even in hardships. And we must do the same. All right. Next, we see Pastor uh, Paul. Pastor Paul pastored with pure motives. With pure motives. Verse three. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the Gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So first and foremost, Paul did what he did for God. Paul was a servant of God first and foremost. And that is so critical for all of us. Paul did what he did for God, not for people predominantly. You understand that? He was living to please God, not to please men. And that is ever before us as pastors and as Christians always struggling with what will other people think? What are other people going to do? What are other people going to say? And that's something that we have to rise above. What does God think? How does that make God feel? What would God say about that? What does God say about that in His Word? That is first and foremost, right? And so that was right where Paul was at. But then he said that he didn't do it for himself, he did it for them. What he was doing, it was not for his own personal gain, it was not for covetousness, he did not flatter them. You know what flattery is? It's telling people what they want to hear so you can get what you want from them. That's flattery. Telling someone what they want to hear, what you know they want to hear, so that you can get from them what you want. Paul said, I didn't do that. I wasn't covetous with you. I didn't come with flattery. First and foremost, I was serving the Lord. But secondly, I was serving you. It wasn't about me. It was about you. And that's so critical in ministry. I, I learned that lesson early on, and it's something that you have to be reminded from time to time. But we can begin to think that people owe us something. We do this or that, and then all of a sudden someone lets us down, you have to ever be mindful of that, Christians. I'm talking to you guys too. What we do is for the Lord. For the Lord. And it is from Him that we will receive a reward. And we're not looking for other people. It's not about what we can get. It's all about what we can give. Not what we can get. And that was Paul as a pastor. Beware the pastors that are trying to fleece the flock. And that's a real warning, guys, because it's happening. And it's happening out there in a major way. I mean, you just turn on the TV or you go on YouTube and you see some of the horror, horrors that are going on in the church with pastors that are, as I said, fleecing the flock of God. They are just there to get what they can get out of the people. They are living lavish lifestyles on the backs of, of people's poverty even. People that are desperate and willing to give anything they can in the hopes that somehow they will prosper and the pastors are living lavishly on that. That is tragic. That's a reality in the church. And let that never be said of us. It's always, what can we do for you guys? How can we bless you? How can I feed you from God's Word? How can I encourage you? How can I serve you? How can I help you? That is the, that is the, the cry That is the heart cry of the true shepherd, the true under shepherd of the Lord. All right, well, next we're gonna see that when Paul passed it was very much relational. Paul pastored relationally verse seven. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So, first off, I just want to draw your attention to that that word, uh, we were. We were, there in verse 7. It'd be really easy to pass over that, um, and I won't try to get too deep into this, but some translations have it, we proved to be proved to be because Paul was very consistent the idea here behind the language in the Greek it's a historical aorist which I don't even know what that means but I heard someone say it and it sounded really good but the idea basically is that it's snapshots of a person's life compiled into a scrapbook with a theme And as you work your way through that scrapbook, you see something in particular. It's very consistent in all the shots. And collectively, it comes together and gives you a great picture of this person or this theme. And that's that's the idea behind the Word here. We proved to be this way among you. We proved to be gentle. You saw it over and over and over again as we were here with you in your midst. Consistency is so important for a pastor. It's important for... Christians, it's important for men in particular. Can I just say that while I'm at this? You know, women, they need that. Women want stability. They want security. They want consistency. And so often men are just not that way. And I would be the first to say that it's a struggle for me. I'm always on to the next thing. And I'm over here and I'm over there. And, uh, you know, consistency is the key, right? And for pastors, the same is true. And Paul was very much that. Uh, You know, some people, you don't even know who you're going to get from one day to the next. You see them one day and they're smiling at you. You see them the next day and they're ready to smack you. And you're like, what in the world is going on here? Okay, that's inconsistency. Paul was consistent. They knew who he was. They knew what he was about. And then notice he said that we proved to be gentle. We were gentle among you. Among you. We don't want to miss that. This This is very important. Literally, it means in the midst of in the midst of you. And you actually find this same phrase in Luke 2.46. Just to kind of catch the flavor of this. When Jesus was a child, it's one of the few accounts we have of Him as a child, and they went on a pilgrimage to the Passover in Jerusalem, and then His parents went back, and then they realized Jesus wasn't there anymore. You remember the story? And so they panic, and they go back, and when they got to the, the temple, they found Jesus there in the midst of the teachers, the, the rabbis, and he was conversing with them and asking all these questions. And they were shocked at the wisdom of this kid. He was in the midst of them. And that's the idea. For the pastor, we are to be in the midst. We are to be right here with you. Some pastors, you'll see them when they get on the stage and then they disappear. And you don't know anything else about them until they reappear. And I, I would also say that... Um, I'm, not, I'm certainly not bashing churches that have TV screens. I've attended churches in the past that, where the pastor was on a TV screen, but it's hard for that pastor to be in the midst of you when that's, when that's what you have. You understand what I'm, what I'm saying here. And that, that would be my, my hesitation uh, for that, that very thing. And so a pastor is to be amongst his people. You understand that, right? I love you guys. Do you know that? I hope you know that. If you don't know that, that grieves me. And I love to be out in the foyer. I love to be at the front door as you guys are coming in. I love to see your faces, shake your hands. I love to greet you. I love to be amongst you guys in your midst. It means to be physically present, physically around. You know where I'm at. You can find me. You can get to me. You can get to me. I'm accessible. That's what it means to be accessible. If you have a need of any sort, uh, you can find me. I may not be able to do it. I may have to ask somebody else to serve you and to meet that need, but you can get to me some way, somehow. It means to be engaged. As a pastor, you've got to be present. For instance, uh, this is a, a real challenge, but when I'm talking to somebody, I am doing my very best... To look them in the eyes. And there's people walking all around behind them or standing nearby and I know they're trying to get to me. The last thing I want to do is break eye contact and look over there or look over there because that communicates that something else in this room is more important to me than you. And I'm aware of that. And so I do the very best I can not to do that. I'm a real fidgety guy. That, that is a challenge for me to keep it reeled in. But that's my heart and that's the way it ought to be. It also means on your cell phones, right? That's a challenge right there so when you're engaged with somebody when you're there when you're in the midst when you're present with someone you're present with them not your phone right and so often we're texting and we're talking or checking our phone or now they got it where it's on your your watch and every time i'm talking to someone with the watch thing and they get a text and they're looking i'm thinking are you in a hurry to to get out of here i mean that's exactly what it comes off like right and so I want to do the best I can not to do that. Pastors, we should not do that. And frankly, for all of us, I think that's just good solid wisdom. It's, it's uh, respectful to give people your attention in the moment. And uh, you know I've, had, I've been challenged over this. I've had someone come up and point it out and uh, and, they're, and they were real blunt, man. they' were like, "That was rude." And I was like, "Oh man, okay, I'm sorry. so Anyways, being present, being amongst the people, and to be gentle. He said, we proved to be gentle when we were among you. Never harsh, never unloving, never rude. And man, I have seen some crazy stuff out there. Uh, you go on YouTube. I love to go on YouTube and check these things out because you just guys wouldn't believe the stuff that's happening in the church out there. It's crazy. And I, I saw one video where someone fell, fell asleep and the pastor was like, hey, 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 hey. And he got off the stage and came down there. He said, you might treat your English teacher like that, but hey, I'm somebody. I'm talking about eternal life. And he goes up and starts blasting the guy. And then he turns around and says, and you. And next thing you know, he's like just airing everyone's dirty laundry in front of the congregation. I'm like, oh man. And then he starts going off on the people in in the media room and um, you know, that's kind of an extreme example, but you'll see that. And then, you know, there was a guy named Todd Bentley. I don't know if you know this guy and his shenanigans, but he would literally kick people in the stomach to heal them. You know, they had people with cancer that would come forward and uh, stomach cancer. And the, God told him, so he runs across with biker boots and drop kicks the guy in the stomach. And that was from the Lord, you know, and. It's it's ridiculous, but people are doing it. It's, It's, you know, hard not to laugh at, but at the same time, you have to laugh so not to cry. You know, it's just so tragic. And that ought never to be, obviously. We don't want to be harsh with people, unloving, rude. We certainly don't ever want to beat the sheep, right? You hear that quite a bit. I had been warned early on that if I ever start beating up on the people, just quit. Just stop, because that's the last thing that you want to do. Never humiliating people. You know, just uh, again, much like that first pastor I mentioned. He just humiliated those people. And uh, pastors can do that. They can do that. And so we have to be real sensitive to people's feelings. We're dealing with people with feelings, with emotions, with fears, with, with hurts, with insecurities. And we have to be very uh, sensitive to that. And it's, it's easy to come across as inconsiderate or um, just blow right past somebody and you really aren't sensitive to, to where they're at or what they're going through. And so it takes real uh, focus um, to make sure that no one feels overlooked but that, and certainly that no one is, is humiliated or, or anything of the sort. Paul said, I did this as a, as a nursing mother cares for her child. You know, that's delicate, very tender. As I said, you're dealing with people who are hurting. And so you have to be very soft. You don't just come up and slap them on the back and say, "Hey, suck it up." I had someone do that to me one time, and I just wanted to I mean, I did not like it. And um, you know, it's not a good feeling. You don't do that. You don't just slap someone on the back and tell them to suck it up, you know? You're delicate. And, you know, if someone's grieving, you know, a mother is also deeply affected, very sensitive to what's going on with with the baby, right? Good or bad. And if someone's grieving, you don't want to come up and crack a joke and be all smiling. I remember early on, I was in U-Turn for Christ. And I was working uh, at a church in New Jersey doing a construction job. So we're on one side. And, um, you know, I'm just fully head to toe, construction clothes, dirty as can be, orange vest on. And there was a funeral happening on the other side of the church and it was a massive funeral. It was a real tragic thing that happened. Well, they needed help for some reason. Someone to kind of open the hold the doors open. For whatever reason, they called on me. And so I'm at the front door and I'm just as excited as I can be and I'm in my construction clothes and I'm smiling ear to ear and People are coming in the door, just weeping and grieving, and all of a sudden it dawned on me. You idiot stop smiling and laughing like you know, and uh I never forgot that we have to be those who grieve with those who grieve, and we rejoice with those who rejoice, right? but we have to be sensitive as a as a nursing mother is, passionately longing he uses that language I was, we were passionately longing for you. This is a deep love and a deep devotion and I can't help but think of the story where Jesus talks about the shepherd who left the 99 sheep just to find the one. And that is the heart of our Lord and that ought to be the heart of his under shepherds. And then he says, "We imparted our lives to you. We imparted the gospel to you." You know, love gives it can be a challenge sometimes to define love, exactly what it is. But one thing we know, love gives. It's much more of an action than anything else. And God chose to give. He gave His Son. The most beautiful thing that He had to give, He gave it away for us. And Jesus came here and He gave His life. He gave His life upon the cross for us and He did it for love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that anyone who put their trust in Him, anyone who believed in Him, would not perish, but would have everlasting life. God demonstrated His love for us even that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Love gives. Love gave. And Paul imparted his life to the people there. And he said, I imparted the Gospel to you. That was one of the most precious things that Paul had. The Gospel. We've been entrusted with something so beautiful, so splendid, so majestic. The good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that saves sinners like us. And we have that to share with others too. And Paul shared that with them. Not only his life, but also the Gospel. All right, let's pick up the pace a little bit here. Sorry. Verse 9, Paul pastored laboriously great labor and toil, Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. So Paul labored and toiled when he was there, night and day. You know, ministry can be hard work. can be long hours. can be unexpected hours. You never know when something is going to happen. It can be extremely exhausting and it can require sacrifice. And we all know this. When you sign on to be a pastor, you know you're stepping into something that is very demanding. It's demanding on the marriage. It's demanding on the children. It's demanding on you physically, spiritually. Uh, in, in every way, pastoral ministry at times can be downright crushing. Who's adequate for such a thing? You know, our sufficiency is in Christ. That's what Paul said. And that is the case. And Paul, Paul worked Hard for the people there. He said he didn't want to be a burden to them. You know, that's, that's the heart of the pastor. Not to be a burden, to be a blessing. You know, and a, a, real, a real pastor is willing to do whatever it takes to be able to minister. So if you have to work a full-time job, he'll do that. He'll do so gladly. And we've all, we have all done that. Some of us are still doing that. We have pastors here who work a full-time job, and then they pastor, and they do so gladly. And my heart desire, our church's heart, is to be able to support these men so that they can be totally free to really storm the gates here in Napa. Amen? To really be able to do something for the kingdom of God unhindered. And, and so that's why we encourage you guys to give. If, you, if, you, if this is your church, if you believe God has called you here, if you're being blessed by the ministry is here, if you believe in the vision that we have and what we're trying to do for the kingdom here in Napa, then we encourage you to give. We don't pass a collection plate. We have a box in the back. You know we don't make a big deal about it because it's not about that. Um, but the, like I said, at the end of the day, with it or without it, we are going to pastor we are going to serve the Lord. We are going to serve you. A minister will give what he can to minister. You know, sometimes it actually costs the, the, the pastor to be able to, to minister in, in different settings. Um, sometimes he has to give of his own resources just to, to get to this place or to be able to offer this service or whatever the case may be. A true minister is willing to give up freedoms to minister. You understand that, Right. Uh, Paul didn't want to be a burden to the people. And he was willing to do whatever it took to be a blessing to them. And so as Christians, sometimes there are things that we are allowed to do that we might have to give up so that we're not a burden to other people so that we can be a blessing. You know, my heart's desire is to, to, to serve folks, to reach folks that are struggling with addiction. And I know that many of you in this congregation feel that same burden and you're excited about what we're doing. And with, you know, that being the case, we have to be seriously considerate of those who are uh, struggling, especially with alcoholism. Right. And so I'm not saying that you can't drink. The Bible doesn't say you can't drink. But if we have people here that we're trying to to care for who, you know, drinking to them would be a matter of, of death, it's life or death. Do we really want to be posting it on on Instagram and Facebook um, every every chance that we get? Do we really want to be out in a place where we could bump into someone like that? And they think, wow, if they can do it, maybe I can do it. And the next thing you know, they're off the chain and gone. We have to be considerate. We don't want to be a burden. We want to be willing to do whatever we have to do and even give up whatever we may need to give up for love's sake. For love's sake. All right. pastoring by example, verse 10. You are witnesses and God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. So they saw with their own eyes how Paul demonstrated Christ's likeness in their midst. Paul was an example. It's not do what I tell you to do. It's, it's, it's you know, really what the Word of God says to do, but uh, we want to display that. We want to demonstrate uh, the truth by the way that we live our lives. A pastor must do his best to model what he teaches. And Paul could say, follow me as I follow Christ. I think most of us cringe at that. Most of us are not so quick to jump up and say, hey, just follow. You want to see what Christ is like? Just look at this guy. I knew a, a pastor. He was really a really tri- tri- trippy guy. And he was like, you know, I was looking in the mirror this morning and I thought, that's what Jesus looks like right there. And I was like, man, you probably need to go to a, a mental institute or something. I don't know. But anyways, uh, to be able to say, hey, just follow Me. Walk with Me. Do what I do. Alright, and then verses 11 and 12. And we we'll close with this. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. So he says, each of you. First, and I would say that Ministry, so often, it's on an individual level. It's unique to each person. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to treat everyone in here exactly the same. People have different needs. People are in different places. And I've experienced this before. I've been lumped into a, a, a group where I, uh, I had a guy that was being way more forceful with me than he needed to be. I was glad to just, just to honor whatever the guy said. Just tell me, you don't have to be a bulldog and latch on to my neck and shake me to death. But some of the guys there needed that. And, but I wasn't it. And so that's one of the things you have to learn is not everybody requires the same level of, uh, of treatment, whatever that may look like. You know? And so that's part of knowing your people and understanding the different needs, the personalities, the struggles, concerns. And he says, I exhorted you. He led them. Paul led them. He admonished them. It's being being very intentional. Uh, he comforted them. That's to be an encourager, and so often that's what we need, is it not? We need to be encouraged. Sometimes someone just needs to hear something to get them through another week. And I think about that sometimes. You know, uh, are there people in this room that just need a word of encouragement to get them through to another week? And am I in here beating them over the head? You know, am am I being sensitive? Am I loving people? Am I giving them words of encouragement that refresh them and give them the strength they need just to make it another week, another day even? And he says to charge people. That's to convince. To convince. It's a pastor's job not just to tell you what to do, but to try to help you understand why. Why you should do it. Why it's special, much like the baptism thing a while ago. It's one thing just to tell you you need to do it. It's another thing to convince you and explain to you why you should do it. And that that is the job of a pastor. And then he says that he did this as a father. He did this as a father. And again, the idea is not as a boss, but as a father relationally. Um, You know, the Apostle Paul said in Philemon that as an apostle, he could have made demands of Philemon, but he didn't. He appealed to him for love's sake. And so relational, that, that's what it's all about, relationship. If I have to tell you to do something because I'm the pastor, then I have already lost. And that is the lowest level of leadership. That, that's, that is not influence at all. That is um, being, a, being a boss, and authoritarian, and that's just not good. We want to deal with relational influence, trust, respect. And uh, Paul said that I was that I was that I was as a father to you, because obviously I don't see myself as a father to many of the men. Many of the men in this room are like fathers to me, frankly, um, and I appreciate their wisdom and their care and their concern for me. Um, but it's it's about relational ministry, and so Paul modeled that. Paul demonstrated that beautifully.